Chapter Forty One of Ivanhoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Forty One. All hail to the lordlings of high degree who live not more happy though greater than we. Our pastimes to see under every green tree in all the gay woodland right welcome ye be. MacDonald. The newcomers were Wilfred of Ivanhoe on the prior of Boltolf's palfrey, and Gurth who attended him on the knight's own war-horse. The astonishment of Ivanhoe was beyond bounds when he saw his master be sprinkled with blood, and six or seven dead bodies lying around in the little glade in which the battle had taken place. Nor was he less surprised to see Richard surrounded by so many sylvan attendants, the outlaws as they seemed to be, of the forest, and a perilous retinue therefore for a prince. He hesitated whether to address the king as the black knight-errant, or in what other manner to demean himself towards him. Richard saw his embarrassment. "'Fear not, Wilfred,' he said, "'to address Richard Plantagenet as himself, since thou seest him in the company of true English hearts, although it may be they have been urged a few steps aside by warm English blood.' "'Sir Wilfred of Ivanhoe,' said the gallant outlaw, stepping forward, "'my assurances can add nothing to those of our sovereign. Yet let me say somewhat proudly, that of men who have suffered much, he hath not truer subjects than those who now stand around him.' "'I cannot doubt it, brave man,' said Wilfred, "'since thou art of the number. But what mean these marks of death and danger, these slain men and the bloody armour of my prince?' "'Treason hath been with us, Ivanhoe,' said the king." but thanks to these brave men, treason hath met its meed. But now I bethink thee, thou too art a traitor, said Richard, smiling, a most disobedient traitor, for were not our orders positive that thou shouldst repose thyself at St. Boltolf's until thy wound was healed? It is healed, said Ivanhoe. It is not of more consequence than the scratch of a bodkin. But why, oh why, noble prince, Will you thus vex the hearts of your faithful servants, and expose your life by lonely journeys and rash adventures, as if it were of no more value than that of a mere knight-errant, who has no interest on earth but what lance and sword may procure him? And Richard Plantagenet, said the king, desires no more fame than his good lance and sword may acquire him, and Richard Plantagenet is prouder of achieving an adventure with only his good sword and his good arm to speed, than if he led to battle a host of an hundred thousand armed men. "'But your kingdom, my liege,' said Ivanhoe, "'your kingdom is threatened with dissolution and civil war, your subjects menaced with every species of evil, if deprived of their sovereign in some of those dangers which it is your daily pleasure to incur, and from which you have but this moment narrowly escaped.' "'Ho, ho, my kingdom and my subjects,' answered Richard impatiently. "'I tell thee, Sir Wilfred,' the best of them are most willing to repay my follies in kind. For example, my very faithful servant, Wilfred of Ivanhoe, will not obey my positive commands, and yet reads his king a homily, because he does not walk exactly by his advice. Which of us has most reason to upbraid the other? Yet forgive me, my faithful Wilfred, the time I have spent, and am yet to spend in concealment, is, as I explained to thee at St. Botolph's, necessary to give my friends and faithful nobles time to assemble their forces, that when Richard's return is announced, he should be at the head of such a force as enemies shall tremble to face, and thus subdue the meditated treason 
without even unsheathing a sword. Estoteville and Bohun will not be strong enough to move forward to York for twenty-four hours. I must have news of Salisbury from the south, and of Beecham in Warwickshire, and of Moulton and Percy in the north. The Chancellor must make sure of London. Too sudden an appearance would subject me to dangers, other than my lance and sword, though backed by the bow of bold Robin, or the quarter-staff of Friar Tuck, and the horn of the sage Wamba, may be able to rescue me from. Wilfred bowed in submission, well knowing how vain it was to contend with the wild spirit of chivalry which so often impelled his master upon dangers which he might easily have avoided, or rather, which it was unpardonable in him to have sought out. The young knight sighed, therefore, and held his peace while Richard, rejoiced at having silenced his counsellor, though his heart acknowledged the justice of the charge he had brought against him, went on in conversation with Robin Hood. King of outlaws, he said, have you no refreshment to offer to your brother's sovereign? For these dead knaves have found me both in exercise and appetite. In troth, replied the outlaw, for I scorn to lie to your grace, our larder is chiefly supplied with— He stopped and was somewhat embarrassed. "'With venison, I suppose?' said Richard gaily. "'Better food at need there can be none, and truly, if a king will not remain at home and slay his own game, methinks he should not brawl too loud if he finds it killed to his hand.' "'If your grace, then,' said Robin, "'will again honour with your presence one of Robin Hood's places of rendezvous, the venison shall not be lacking, and a stoop of ale, and it may be a cup of reasonably good wine, to relish it withal.' The outlaw accordingly led the way, followed by the buxom monarch, more happy probably in this chance meeting with Robin Hood and his foresters, than he would have been in again assuming his royal state and presiding over a splendid circle of peers and nobles. Novelty in society and adventure were the zest of life to Richard Corday Leon, and it had its highest relish when enhanced by dangers encountered and surmounted. In the lion-hearted king, the brilliant but useless character of a knight of romance was in a great measure realized and revived, and the personal glory which he acquired by his own deeds of arms was far more dear to his excited imagination than that which a course of policy and wisdom would have spread around his government. Accordingly, his reign was like the course of a brilliant and rapid meteor which shoots along the face of heaven, shedding around an unnecessary and portentous light, which is instantly swallowed up by universal darkness, his feats of chivalry furnishing themes for bards and minstrels, but affording none of those solid benefits to his country on which history loves to pause and hold up as an example to posterity. But in his present company Richard showed to the greatest imaginable advantage. He was gay, good-humoured, and fond of manhood in every rank of life. Beneath a huge oak tree the sylvan repast was hastily prepared for the King of England, surrounded by men outlaws to his government, but who now formed his court and his guard. As the flagon went round, the rough foresters soon lost their awe for the presence of majesty. A song and the jest were exchanged, the stories of former deeds were told with advantage, and at length, and while boasting of their successful infraction of the laws, no one recollected they were speaking in presence of their natural guardian. The merry king, nothing heeding his dignity any more than his company, laughed, quaffed, and jested among the jolly band. The natural and rough sense of Robin Hood led him to be desirous that the scene should be closed, ere anything should occur to disturb its harmony, the more especially that he observed Ivanhoe's brow clouded with anxiety. "'We are honoured,' he said to Ivanhoe, apart, 
by the presence of our gallant sovereign, yet I would not that he dallied with time, which the circumstance of his kingdom may render precious. It is well and wisely spoken, brave Robin Hood, said Wilfred apart, and know, moreover, that they who jest with majesty even in its gayest mood are but toying with the lion's whelp, which, on slight provocation, uses both fangs and claws. You have touched the very cause of my fear, said the outlaw. My men are rough by practice and nature. The king is hasty as well as good-humoured. Nor know I how soon cause of offence may arise, or how warmly it may be received. It is time this revel were broken off. It must be by your management, then, gallant yeoman, said Ivanhoe, for each hint I have essayed to give him serves only to induce him to prolong it. Must I so soon risk the pardon in favour of my sovereign? said Robin Hood, pausing for all instant. But by St. Christopher it shall be so. I were undeserving his grace did I not peril it for his good. Here, Scathlock, get thee behind yonder thicket, and wind me a Norman blast on thy bugle, and without an instant's delay, on peril of your life. Scathlock obeyed his captain, and in less than five minutes the revellers were started by the sound of his horn. It is the bugle of Malvoisin, said the miller, starting to his feet and seizing the bow. The friar dropped the flagon and grasped his quarter-staff. Wamba stopped short in the midst of a jest, and betook himself to sword and target. All the others stood to their weapons. Men of their precarious course of life change readily from the banquet to the battle, and, to Richard, the exchange seemed but a succession of pleasure. He called for his helmet and the most cumbrous parts of his armor which he had laid aside, and while Gurth was putting them on, he laid his strict injunctions on Wilfred under pain of his highest displeasure, not to engage in the skirmish which he supposed was approaching. Thou hast fought for me an hundred times, Wilfred, and I have seen it. Thou shalt this day look on, and see how Richard will fight for his friend and liegeman. In the meantime, Robin Hood had sent off several of his followers in different directions, as if to 